I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome again to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. We're glad you joined us. And today we have Tori Lawrence, and Tori is the Child Advocate and Prevention Educator for DESAs, and welcome to the program today. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. We're so glad that you could be here. Um, We are going to be talking about, well, being a prevention educator and working with children, how to talk to children who have been exposed to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you see these children every day. So how do you begin these conversations? Um, it's, it's actually pretty hard. It's not an easy conversation I to have first with the parents, um, having a conversation with the parents about how to talk to the children or if they should talk to the children. Um, I've come across some parents who don't want to talk to the kids about it because they feel like um, it's not their place or they don't want to traumatize them when they're already in this. They're already traumatized anyway because they're in a situation um, and they have to understand that the parent that the children are affected and especially if it's both of their parents they need to know what um how to cope with it or even even having safety mechanisms or how to um go through if it's happening again so would this be the parent who is perhaps being the abused parent that is going to have to talk with the children or how how would those situations set up it would be great if it's both but usually i'm working with the abused parent so because the other one is maybe not ready to admit or to talk Mm -hmm. or to do any of those kinds of things Mm -hmm. right um so again how how do you even start those conversations (laughs) so um there there's um Different different ways to talk to the kids or how to, how to talk to the kids. So first, you're taking the lead. So making sure that the parent is able to approach the children first before they come up with the questions um, that you're prepared to be able to, to sit down with your child and talk to them about it before they come up with the questions. Because sometimes if a child comes to all the questions, you may be overwhelmed. Um, you're not knowing what to say. You don't know if you should say anything. So taking the lead first to talk about it because that opens up the door for the child. They may be afraid to talk about it first or they may feel like they don't want to overstep some boundaries. So if you take the lead first, that opens the door for them. About, okay, we can mm-hmm. talk about this and we can go forward. And if you think about um, a message of support, so supporting the child, so understanding where they're coming from, not telling them that they can't have an opinion, that they can't feel a certain way. So saying, like, let me know how you're feeling or let me know what you think about this situation. Um, thinking about wh- if they even have a thought about it. Some kids may not. They may not even think about it or they may suppress their thoughts about it. So Right. If, if you don't talk about it, maybe it won't be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Beyond that, mm-hmm. that phase. Um, or... or I'm sure occasionally you run across children who don't even know what's going on. And for the parent to be able to broach that subject has to be difficult. 
Yeah, a lot of the ch- a lot of children um, who are younger, maybe like the six and under, they're not understanding what they see it, but they don't see it as anything bad, or they don't want to see it as anything bad because it's their parents. They don't want to look at their parents as bad people. And it's what they've always seen. Yeah. That is true. Um, even if it's a different relationship from if they've met. Say if I've had um, clients that have been with the father, but then a the mother may get with someone else. And it's a continuous cycle. So they don't want to. Um, they're used to it. Mm-hmm. So it's them. It looks like this is a healthy way to, to be if the parent is going from the same type of relationship to the next. So I would think then if if the parent is able to broach that or to, to start that conversation, the child doesn't feel like they're accusing the parent of something mm-hmm. or telling the parent that they're wrong or mm-hmm. um, any of those kinds of things, which would be hard to deal with on both sides. Yeah, because the parent generally always feels like they're wrong, at least the ones that I've come across. Most clients feel like they're in the wrong and they don't they feel like they've um, they've done their children wrong by keeping them in that situation. They don't know how to address. I had one client. I would say she's probably, her and her family was the most, was the clients that I was actually able to like go through the process with them the most of talking to the kids um, directly about domestic violence and what they experienced and how it affected them and the parents. She, in the beginning, she was just saying she, she doesn't want to talk to them. She wanted Mm -hmm. someone else to talk to them because she was not prepared for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did help her with that. Like we talked, I talked with the kids first because she was not emotionally prepared to talk with them at all, which is understandable. I mean, you feel like you have traumatized your children and you feel like you've done bad by them. So how do you, how do you start talking to them? So when I start talking to the children, just being basically an opening ear for them, um, they they stated they wanted to talk to their mom more about it, but they didn't know how to approach her. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know, um, what questions to ask or what statements so they they didn't want to say the wrong things either because they feel like some of them felt like it was their fault. Oh yeah, uh, you hear that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Where children assume that it must be something they're doing to cause the grown-ups to to act this way with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one child felt like it was it was a girl's, and then it was an older brother. One girl felt like the brother was supposed to protect them because he was the man's situation. So it's a lot of different dynamics within the family that. Um, plays into effect because the boy is a man so they want them to protect as well and she felt bad because why didn't he protect us or why didn't he protect me and mom um it was it was really heartbreaking um but making sure actually another point is finding out what they know so maybe the parents don't know they're, they're, they're may, they may still be fresh out the relationship, so maybe they don't know what they've endured, what the kids have seen or heard. Because some parents try to say, you know, mm-hmm. it was never in front of them or he didn't abuse the children or they were always in the room or not there. But the kids see everything and they hear everything. They know more than what we would even think that they would know. Oh, sure. Um, they hear things. They, they feel um, they feel the emotions like if the parent is in the car they're not talking they're not speaking mm-hmm. or they're um, whispering a kid can see everything they're more they're the curious their mind is curious at their at that age they want to know everything so they're listening um, so finding out what the um, the children know and what the parents know um, also showing the support so um, as me as a person I was never um, telling a parent like this is what you should say this is what you should do I'm more so like what do you want to say to your kids what what do you want to know? Because maybe they they don't know what to ask either. They're looking for help. Like, what should I do? It's more so where where is your heart at? Where is your mind at? Where are you at emotionally to where you can talk to your children about mm-hmm. that? So just being in the room with them. If they want someone else there, I ended up having to be that person for that family. Like, when the mom was able to come and talk, I still had to be in the room with them because she was not able to handle it. She, she ended up leaving, but um, 
having someone else there to support to know that it's, it's okay was good. Well, and, and just the way you are approaching everything. So even though you're the child advocate, you're not separating that child from the family. It's mm-hmm. a family advocate, mm-hmm. really, and it all has to be done together. And that's, like, my main thing. I never I always, when parents come to me, like, you know, you just talk to them. I'm like, that's that's fine. But in the be- and when they leave or when they're away from me, they need they need to be able to talk to you about it as well because you are the parent, and you want to keep that connection with your child, too. I don't want to just be in the middle to where. Right, because you're not going to stay there for Right. Right, they need to, their family is going to still be a unit and love each other and mm-hmm. go forward from there yeah it's okay to talk to somebody else about it but sometimes you got to confront the person that was in the situation to be able to move forward because you can talk to a therapist you could talk to me um but if you never talk to the person that is involved in it it's not going to help the the relationship that's what it is it's, be, it's rebuilding their relationship together because they may have been separate because you see a parent being a certain way and now you're pulling away from your parent because you may not trust them you may not know what to ask them so the relationship goes opposite ways um, well and and if the child truly has good reason not to trust the parent or in the past mm-hmm. i think some tools to rebuild that trust and and the fact that the parent would have to admit that, yeah, okay, so things were not good in the past. Mm -hmm. I want them to be good going forward. How can we do this? Yeah. And it's also supporting that not just the child, but just the parent the most is um, letting them know that they're not a bad person, that they, Mm -hmm. they, um, they can come out of this and grow from it with their children because most parents like I said in the beginning they feel like they are the reason why this happened that they're they're um the horrible person and re um redirecting them to know that it's not it's not your fault you're okay you can grow from this and that your children are not going to hate you for the rest of their lives because I've had some parents say that and that's that's heartbreaking but um I think it would be worse if they didn't try to fix it yeah you know so just that whole we gotta. We have to change this. We have to fix it. We're gonna put it together. We can do it together. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It is because you are a family unit. Um, so I just I talked about not you know not being there for all the violence is not okay first, um, and it's it's hard to do that because um, if if the parent and a child have a relationship where they may use violence with discipline, it's hard to decipher uh, how to teach your ch- child violence is not okay. Mm-hmm. So it depends on where the parents are at too, um, with how they talk to their children and how they discipline their child. Um, so I kind of make sure that I'm I'm with them. I'm, I'm meeting them where they're at. I'm not going to tell them how to parent. I'm not going to tell them what to do, but um, let them know that violence is not okay and trying to... Um, put a middle between um, discipline the child and then what's going on between the parents. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's that's pretty hard, too, because then they're saying, like, well, you're doing this, so why is it not okay that this is happening? Um, Those are good questions. Yeah. I'm sure that every child would be thinking that, too. Mm-hmm. Why is it okay for you and not for me? Or why is this, you know, is not that much of a jump from, you know, spanking to hitting, or how does that all come into play, and, and where do you go forward with that? So. Yeah. That's a tough conversation to have. It is. It's, um, it's very tough. Um, and not putting a burden on them and trying to stay calm. 
the one family that I'm going to keep using because they were just it was amazing watching them like transform from when they first got to shelter from them leaving um, her being able to breathe when her child was talking her being able to not um, not hover over her not stop her from talking for mm-hmm. her to be able to keep her ears open it was it was hard for her to do that to hear mm-hmm. the words coming come out of her child's mouth like realizing like wow you experienced more than I thought you did um, was um, really difficult to listen to um, but it was it was it was a good thing. The child was able to get out a lot, a lot of um, emotional stuff that she would she would hold in. Um, talking to me and then talking to the mom together, then talking with them as a family. Because if we started off with just talking to the children individually and then talking to the mom with one child, because mm-hmm. all of them together, it was it was a lot. It was a lot of emotions in one room. They all have different perspectives. That's another part to understanding that each child experienced it a different way. So not each child is going to have the same experience in a household um, or look at it the same way, especially if it's a different age group. Well, I would think, right, or or if one, you know, boys, girls, whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. that would be a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And if it's a five-year-old who um, who loves the person may, who may have been the abuser, they're not, they're confused, like, you know, why are we even here and why is this? They're, they're confused about what is even safety. Um, like, I felt like we were safe there. Why are we here? And why did you leave that person? That's a hard conversation, too, for um someone who's left an abusive relationship like the child asking why did you even leave like we were okay where we were at why right. are we and here mourning almost and they're not going to see that person anymore being worried about that mm-hmm. and that conversation is hard too um, I haven't been able to see that conversation happen with parents because it's, it's hard to bring that up like why did you even leave um, explaining what safe is and what was not safe in the household and some children are like oh okay they, they hear it but they they may not get it, but it's important to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being able to move on from how much energy it takes to keep those children safe, especially if you are still in that relationship, and mm-hmm. and to be able to talk to your kids about that. Um, and in the case of siblings, do you talk with them about how they've talked to each other about yeah. what they've experienced? Yeah. So with that family, I, I would always ask, you know, are you guys even, are you guys conversing about what happened in the household? And most of them didn't. They never talked about it at all to each other. Wow. And I find, I find that a lot with most families. They don't talk about what happened um, together because they feel like they, like I said, they experience different things. So they mm-hmm. see it different way. So they may bring it up to someone or a brother or a sister, but they may look at it a certain way. So they don't want to cause turmoil between each other. They want to keep what they do have together. But talking about something that's traumatic is um can um cause a lot of emotional stuff that they're oh, not right. ready for oh i would think so right yeah. and then and being able to move forward from that so well you've just changed everything i thought so now what am i supposed to do mm-hmm. moving forward you may have so. a, a teenage daughter and then you have a son who's um seven who's like what are you talking about like we're right. okay like what do you mean so talking about that um together is pretty um difficult um but I do, I do encourage it because maybe they have different perspectives that they can uh, feed off of each other and how to how to be safe in the situation if it happens again, if they go back or if the parents are with each other. Um, that's one thing we do for sure is safety planning, like not necessarily um, what the child needs to do to protect the parent, but how they can protect themselves. So mm-hmm. um, making sure that they have a place to go or if they have a cell phone or who to call or who to go to if it's an older sibling, they should be the ones to lead us out the house. So make sure they have the safety plan together. And that's got to be a difficult conversation to have, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, we try to think of our homes as the safe place. So mm-hmm. needing a safety plan 
when you're at home is is a difficult situation to mm-hmm. be in. Um, so, as they do, they finish. I mean, do they? come together at the end? I mean, I need the end of the story. <laughs> it it depends. It good. This, this family in particular, they were able to talk a lot more. The mom was open. Um, they would talk, uh, they would talk with me or they would talk together. They was, they had a safety plan that they came up with on their own as a family unit. And the mom was able to breathe more while listening to her child. And the child was actually able to talk to the parent more. She, um, asked specific questions about why things happen and what should I do from here? Um, what how do I trust my father anymore do you still trust the father what's going to happen for mm-hmm. it was most of the questions end up being now what do we do like we're here we're safe now so where do we go from here um and I, I personally feel like they were they were they were better they were not okay but they were better um as far as communication right that's great so again we're back to as we talk frequently um hope and healing mm-hmm. or healing and hope I mean they just kind of are interchangeable as they as they progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how people who are listening to us today, how do they come to meet with you? So I'm sure that a decision has been made prior to um, you meeting with children and families that mm-hmm. they have chosen to break the cycle that they're in. Yeah, so it depends. So if, uh, if we get a family that comes in across this line for the shelter, I automatically meet with them within that first week that they're there. So they have the intake with whatever advocate is there, and I introduce myself as a child advocate. We do our own intake, and I go over the resources that I have and all the services that I provide. Mm-hmm. You make a decision whether or not we're going to talk about this or talk about that or what they want to work on personally with their family. Um, I may have some, I do have clients that are in, in high schools as well, so um, it depends on how they come. I have non-residential clients too. Um, they may call and say they need an advocate and then they find out that they have things that they're going on with their children that they can't handle themselves, mm-hmm. so they may need additional help with that. Which has to be just so relieving to those parents I would think because all the decision making that goes into being able to break that cycle Mm -hmm. and then all the help that they're going to be able to get they don't have to handle all the little details and the big big details on their own yeah there's more resources than you would think there I've learned there's a lot of resources out there for parents to help a lot of people want to do that sometimes they want to do it on their own sometimes they don't know that they can have help or they don't know they're scared to ask for help they don't want to look be looked at as a burden to others but um, it takes a village to raise a child so of course you got to look out to other people for help especially you're going through a situation like this that's amazing um so uh, as you were just talking about it is okay to ask for help that was one of our one of our points we were going to talk about is Mm -hmm. being okay to ask for help and and different places they can find help not just from us from DASIS Mm -hmm. but there are other organizations that you work with as well that that Mm -hmm. there are many yeah we have referred children to um the cmh depending on what county they're going to go to there's um the child trauma assessment center in kalamazoo as well because there's sometimes things that we can't handle on our own that they may need more help Mm -hmm. for so we make sure we point them in the right direction and not just trying to handle it just on our own because we need the help too to help them so making sure that we use the resources outside of just us as well and um because they're not going to always be with us for 24 7 so they may need additional help Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yes. As they go back 
into creating their family and mm-hmm. moving forward with their family, knowing that, okay, so you're done, you're cured, go. It's not, <laughs> right. I mean, it's not, not like, what, tonsillitis? No. <laughs> it continues and mm-hmm. being able to have access to Especially that Especially as help. the kids grow and develop, they're going to think differently. They're going to sure. see things differently. It's going to be a lot of different. Um, I make sure to talk about different development stages of um, what they might see as far as um um, traumatic stuff within the children like maybe as um as a as a baby you don't think that the child is traumatized but they um they start to cry a lot or that and they didn't used to do that or if they're seven and eight they weren't peeing in the bed but now they're peeing in the bed again mm-hmm. so watching those different things that you'll see so you know the child may need more help or more um what's what i'm looking for more assistance right and they're just bottling things up and being mm-hmm. able to to get out yeah the they show things in a different the way they don't they don't mm-hmm. ask questions they don't talk about it. they show it in physical behavior or um um how they are at school how they interact with you right oh yeah processing grief and processing emotion and trauma is very different in children than mm-hmm. it is in adults so mm-hmm. um having that realization is huge and if we have um some younger people listening do you have do do people ever reach out where it's not necessarily the parent who reaches out first, but maybe it's a sibling or a child or a younger person in the family that reaches out for help. Mm-hmm. In that situation, the the um, the child came to me more than the, the parent did. The the child was like, you know, we need help. What can you what can you help us with? Because I don't know how we're gonna. And this was a ten year old girl. That's so. And she brave. knew more than she knew more than what I thought she was supposed to know at that right. age. Um, right. But she was more so the one like, we need to talk. You need to talk to my sister. You need to talk to my brother because we don't know what to do from here. Um, it really just depends on the person and the family and where they come from. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So if you are listening, we do have an 800 number. You can call any time, day or night, and we are staffed 24 hours with wonderful, caring people that can get this started for you. Um, 800-828-2023 or our website, always, dasismi.org. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, Tori. Thank you so much. I know you're helping lots of people, and uh, I know you'll be helping lots more in the future. I hope so. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.